Here at Resurrection, we just have such a love for the nations and for our brothers and sisters that um, are throughout the world doing the ministry of the gospel. But it's, it's one thing to love the nations, another thing to actually have our brothers and sisters from the nations with us here at Resurrection. And it's an honor and a joy to have Provost Sammy and Mama Beatrice with us. Um, we're already beginning a friendship. Please, if we could just give a warm welcome to Provost and to Mama. Now, I think we, we just received the Kenyan two-hand greeting. Is that right? Is it, right? Is this correct? I, I got much of this when I was in Kenya. Yes, yeah, so we give the two-hand uh, greeting. Uh, Provost Sammy uh, leads All Saints uh, Cathedral in Nairobi, uh, Kenya. A, uh, a, it's a center of Anglican gospel and Anglican mission throughout the world. This cathedral hosted uh, hundreds and hundreds of us from all around the world a year and a half ago at a gathering of Anglican leaders and bishops that I had the honor to be a part of. Uh, Canon William of our diocese is hosting uh, Provost and Mama for the next couple of weeks, and we were very fortunate to have them come and to preach here at Resurrection and to share the Word of God. Uh, we're delighted at what God is beginning among us, Provost, and uh, we look forward to many more uh, chances to share ministry with each other. But uh, you're welcome in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Good morning and praise the Lord. Amen. We feel very delighted to be in your midst this morning and thank you for your warm welcome. Just before I do the introduction, let me tell you how happy we are that this has come to reality. When I became the provost about the same same time, when you came for the GAFCON conference, I was in the process of becoming the provost of the cathedral. And my vision was that I will open up that cathedral for interaction with other Christians all over the world. We have started doing that, and so this was a very important mission for us to come and open ourselves to learning more things. But also we are opening up the cathedral bishop for you, your clergy and laity, to come and also experience what we do in Nairobi. As the bishop has said, the All Saints Cathedral, and you can Google that, it's a very big um, uh, church. We have uh, a membership of about 10,000. And on a Sunday, uh, we conduct 14 services. And so uh, you're asking, how do you do that? Uh, You can only come and see. Please welcome. (laughs) But if you want to ask me any question after the service... I can explain, but it is phenomenal. It blesses many people from all over the world. And so, Canon William, I'm very honored to be in partnership with you and this diocese, and we'll continue uh, to grow together as we follow Christ. Let me ask my wife, Beatrice, to come. Uh, We have a small gift that we would like to present to the bishop and to you as uh, uh, a token of uh, friendship that from now henceforth we will be friends, isn't it? Yes. It's a small token uh, coming from our heart. And it is written, Partnership uh, 2015. Uh, it says that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. From All Saints Cathedral, Nairobi. Thank you, Mom.
Beatrice is my wife, as it has been said, and we've been married now. This is our 18th year, and we have been blessed uh, to have three children, uh, Joanne, who is turning 16, uh, Victor, a boy, who is turning nine, and Kezi, a girl, who is ta- has turned five. And I always make a joke after that introduction that the factory is closed. No more production. Unless the Holy Spirit interferes with our plan, as interfered with that one of um, Joseph and Mary. We love the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the best thing that has happened in our life. Nothing of our own, but what Jesus Christ has already done. Let us pray as we commit ourselves to the Lord. God, our Father, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to share your word. We pray now that you break this bread for each one of us. Lord, you know and understand the need of every person gathered here today. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that this word will be a real taste into their spiritual mouths and minds that they will realize how much, Lord, you love each one of us. Holy Spirit of God, speak to each one of us. We come against any spirit that may hinder your word from being spoken. And we pray for liberty in this service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, my reflection comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 31 to 38. And the theme that I was given by the bishop is get behind me, Satan, take your cross. The first point that I want to bring across is that Jesus Christ had a mission. And ever since Jesus made his first public appearance, he had been trying to reach out to the nation of Israel. He was their Messiah. And he did everything he could to convince them of that truth. His miracles, his teachings, his compassion to the poor and the needy, his power were all clear evidence that the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament had appeared in their midst. Yet when Israel saw Jesus, they refused to accept him as their Messiah and their Lord or their Savior. It is important for us to note at this point that miracles can happen in our midst. But if our hearts are not inclined in the way of the Lord, then they only happen to be miracles and it doesn't do anything to us. In fact, to me, I believe the greatest miracle ever happened in my life is that Jesus Christ became my savior. And although I continue to witness many miracles happening in my life, the greatest miracle, if no other miracle happened, there's one that I believe happened, that my life was won for Jesus. And so brothers and sisters, I don't know which other miracles you're waiting for, because the greatest miracle has already happened. Jesus was rejected by the religious leaders in Israel. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 11, 
he was rejected by a nation as a whole. He was even judged to be a madman by his own family. This total rejection is summed up in the Apostle John's writings in John chapter 1 verse 11. When John says he came unto his own and his own received him not. So even as Jesus was attempting to reach Israel, he was also trying to reach his disciples. Jesus spent many months teaching them and displaying his power and revealing his identity to his men uh, that he was in, in a powerful way. For the longest time, they were blind of his identity. Even though they saw Jesus heal the sick, each casting out demons, controlling the forces of nature, multiplying bread and fish, and raising the dead, they still could not grasp Jesus. And that's actually emphasizing the same point, that it is possible for miracles to happen in our midst, but we may not be inclined to Jesus. So the disciples were like the blind man whom Jesus healed in Mark chapter 8, verse 23 to 35. When Jesus touched him for the first time, he could see a little, but not clearly. Then Jesus touched him again, and his sight became plain. Like the man, the disciples had a dim, a dim vision of who Jesus Christ was. In Mark chapter 8, verse 37 to 30, the final connection was made in the hearts of the most of these men. And they finally understood who Jesus Christ was. Their statement of faith is summed up in Peter's words in verse 29. You are the Christ. As soon as that connection is made, Jesus begins to teach his disciples what his mission was really all about. As Jesus speaks with this man, he destroys the misconception regarding who the Messiah is and what was the Messiah supposed to do. This passage also reveals the fickle nature of the human heart. I want then to look at this text and be able to bring out meaning out of it. As we look at the mission of the Messiah, I want you to see how Jesus Christ reveals his mission. And I want you to see how Jesus is rebuked by Peter, but he also rebukes him so that he understands who the Messiah is. And so Jesus Christ is now revealed. There is a marked contrast between verse 29 of your Bibles of Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. In verse 29, Peter has just proclaimed that Christ is the Messiah. The word Christ means the anointed. It is a word that refers to the Jewish Messiah. For centuries, the Jews had looked for God as a deliverer. 
they anticipated a great military leader who would defend Israel's enemies, restore righteousness to the land, and who would uh, purify and restore temple worship in ancient Israel. And you can see that in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 15, and Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 23 to 24. The Jews believed that this deliverer would achieve this goal through the forces of arms. They were looking for a fighter, a revolutionary and an insurgentist. When Jesus came into the scene preaching, teaching, healing, and calling men and women to repentance, he was not what the Jews were expecting of the Messiah. That's the reason why they had to reject him. Yet, it is this humble carpenter from Nazareth, Peter and most of the disciples recognized as the Messiah. They believed that Jesus was Christ, the fulfillment of the prophecies and the promises. They were fully expecting Jesus Christ also to attack the Romans and to deliver the, the nation of Israel from her bondage. What Jesus aid in this verse shattered every golden dream of conquest and liberty they cherished. Jesus begins to teach them. The word began suggests the fact that this was a new information that Jesus was about to give to them. We are told in verse 32 that Jesus spoke these things openly. And here, the Lord Jesus Christ would use no parables and no messages with hidden meanings. He would speak clearly so that these men and women would understand what he was telling them. The revelation Jesus made in these verses is devastating to all of their nations, of their notions of who the Messiah would be and what he would do. In this verse, Jesus reveals himself to them. We would do well to consider the message in these words from Jesus. His message still speaks to us today. Brothers and sisters, the words that Jesus spoke then and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross is not just a historical fact that we perpetuate today. We are not just here to narrate a story that happened then. Because what Jesus did those years happens today and will continue to happen. Because he is here present in us. And so don't just take these words as if they are just words of history, but they are words of us here today. Notice the, little, the title he gives himself. Peter called Jesus the Christ. Jesus had not denied this title, for he was the Messiah. However, when Jesus speaks of himself, he calls himself the Son of Man. This simply reminds us that Jesus did not come to this world to live as king. Jesus came to this world to die for sinners. And that comes from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. 
While Jesus is the king of glory. And he is the king of the Jews. He is also the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation chapter 13 verse 8. Jesus is not contradicting Peter. He is merely opening their eyes to the true purpose of his coming into the world. Jesus expands on these thoughts in his next few statements. He tells them that while they are looking for glory, he actually came to suffer. Surely, Jesus did suffer while he was on earth. He lived in poverty. He understood loneliness. He was a man who was rejected by most hated and most hated by many while loved by few. He was truly a man who was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid from his face because we could not esteem him. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3. Jesus tells his disciples that it will be the religious establishment who will be the most vocal opponents of his mission. Jesus speaks of the elders, the chief priests and the scribes. Now look, these are the people that we refer as to the Sanhedrin. Now, let me just pause here and make you understand this more. I'm a teacher and I like explaining things to people. Realize the characteristic and the professions of those who would oppose Jesus. They are not their common followers. They are the Sanhedrin. Who are they? First, the elders of the church. Number two, the chief priests. And you can see us here, the chief priests. Hello, Bishop. (laughs) And the scribes. Then there was another category of people. Some, one, they were called the Pharisees. And somebody has made a joke that they were called Pharisees because they are quite far. The far they saw. And And the sad you see is because they were very sad, isn't it? These are the people whom you would expect to aid Jesus in creating an environment where he would preach the gospel. But they are the people who are the greatest obstacles of the gospel. If you would name them in our our contemporary language, these are the liberal guys. Isn't it? So if you think liberalism started in America, please know that liberalism started even during the times of Jesus. Because the liberal guys don't want the gospel preached. They don't. It doesn't matter whether they are white or black or red or green. They will not allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to be preached. No wonder then these are the guys who rejected Jesus. This rejection by the Jewish leaders had already begun. On more than one occasion, they had tried to find fault with Jesus. And in Mark chapter 8 verse 11, they plainly declared their rejection of Jesus, declaring that he had not sufficiently proven that he was the Messiah. Look, somebody again has made a joke about the Anglicans. Are you Anglicans here? This is a joke somebody has made, that Anglicans love meetings. 
anything has to be discussed in councils. And you know how many councils we've had in the past. And so somebody has made a joke that when the final trumpet will call, Anglicans will call a council <laughs> to discuss whether this is the final trumpet. <laughs> and do you know who will do that? The liberal guys who don't want the gospel preached. And this reminds me of my first sermon that I did in my local church uh, when I was only about 18. I preached the gospel, and I guess it was powerful, it was, sincerely. And at the end of the sermon, like I will do today, I opened people to receive the opportunity to respond to the gospel, which is the best thing to do when the gospel is preached. And I remember a lady came from the back shedding tears and saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. I was elated. I was excited that somebody has responded to Christ. But after the service, I was quickly called to the vestry by the elders of the church and told me, what kind of gospel is this? And I told them, which other gospel then do you want preach here? If people cannot come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, then it is not a gospel. You'd rather release these people to go home if we cannot preach the gospel of liberation. Hallelujah. And so they accused him of blasphemy. They would sentence him to death. They would turn him over to Rome, demanding for his execution. These leaders would lead the people of Israel to demand the death of Jesus on the cross. Even as Jesus was dying and nailed on the cross, these men would mock him in anger and hatred. Look at what people who are leaders of religious groups would do, brothers and sisters. There are a few things that you need to ponder about. Number one is that it was God's will for Jesus Christ to suffer on the cross. And we see this in the Gospel of John 3.16 and also in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Number two, it was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. In Psalm 22, Psalm 69, and Isaiah 53, you see it was prophesied that a Messiah would come and die for the sins of the people. It would satisfy, number three, the demands of the law. The law demanded that somebody dies for the sins of others. And you see that in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, and Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 to 21, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The, the, the fourth point there for us to ponder that it was his own will. Although it is prophesied, although it fulfills the Old Testament prophecy, although it satisfies God's law, it was also Jesus' free will to die for you and me. And we see that in John chapter 10, verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, John chapter 15, verse 13, and Mark chapter 10, verse 45. That is the Messiah's mission. But before we leave this thought behind, let us stop and praise the Lord 
for what he has done for each one of us. Quickly, we look at the second point, and the important is that Jesus Christ is rebuked, but also he rebukes. When the disciples he heard that Jesus was speaking like this, they were dumbfounded. His words go against everything they had ever taught about who the Messiah would be. The concept of the Messiah, the Christ, would actually be to the actual death that they would, they would not comprehend. Some needed to do something. Some, someone needed to speak. Somebody needed to talk sense into Jesus. And this time, it was Peter to do exactly that. So Peter, if you ever study the characters of the disciples of Jesus Christ, he was a sanguine, choleric. <laughs> and if you study, you'd find he had a collection of everything. But this guy was a true choleric and a sanguine. So, while the rest of the disciples stood, they are amazed by what Peter was just about to say. He took Jesus, and if you exegete the word took Jesus, this phrase carries the idea that one person leads the other away to talk to him. And so Peter takes the Lord Jesus Christ and leads him aside and maybe says something like this. Jesus you need to watch what you say. We know you are. You are the Christ. Don't be talking about dying, suffering, and rejection. You should be talking about victory. We need a pip talk and not some discouraging someone about death. That would be modern language, isn't it? And that's what Peter is telling Jesus. Matthew tells us that Peter said this, Be yet far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto you. Matthew 16, verse 22. He is saying, heaven forbid. This will never happen to you. To Peter, nothing would have been more foreign than the idea that the Messiah must, must suffer and die. He just could not see the cross ahead of the Lord's future. This problem is not exclusive to Peter. Many people in our day today have a problem with the idea of the suffering Messiah. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter, eight, chapter 1 verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Hallelujah. When we were lost in the world, we needed to hear this message spoken to us. It would be contradictory then when we have heard and responded to this message that we would be the ones now opposed to the same. Jesus Christ is of Christ. He is of God. And he dies, and his death was not a moment of weakness. It was a moment of divine triumph. God accomplished something in those six hours on the cross that men and women may come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God accomplished 
something through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ that men and women had not been able to achieve through the shedding of millions of gallons of the blood of animals. When Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross, brothers and sisters, is that he forever paid and provided a means of salvation for all who would believe in him. Let me again pause here for you to understand. The, the, the analogy that I will give to help you understand this is like when Jesus Christ died, he opened an account for you and deposited there forgiveness. Hello. And so what you do as a Christian is just to go with your identity, which is the blood of Jesus Christ, amen, and go and claim your forgiveness. It is already in your account. Why do you suffer with sin when your account has already been deposited? Go, grow, and claim that through the blood of Jesus Christ. But men and women love their religion, don't we? We want a religion that makes us feel good, but doesn't make us good. God is not in the business of making us happy. He is in the business of making us holy. Amen. Amen. And that sums up the last point that I want to make. Brothers and sisters, there is no cheap grace. Sometimes we have preached cheap grace for too long. If you want to go to a theater somewhere to watch a movie, the American soccer, or the British football, you buy a seat, don't you? And some of these seats are very expensive. Even in the church, there's no cheap grace. We must face one simple fact, that the cross is the way to salvation. Amen. So we cannot have a gospel without the cross. And this is a challenge we have with the affluent community of, or communities of the world, where we want to feel good. We want, when we come to church on a Sunday, that our ego is, is massaged, and we leave this place feeling a little holy. Just a little holy. It's the massaging of our spiritual egos. Hello. But the gospel confronts sinners like us. And we need to accept that there's no other way we can receive salvation apart from Jesus Christ's suffering. Amen. And so we don't need to be massaged our ego. We need the tough message of the cross. And this time of Easter is very important. Because many people like Christmas. Hello. Because they are handling a baby. And this baby cannot say no. Hello. We love the baby Jesus. It's like two women who went into a big hotel at a corner and they had the flour and the cake and they were celebrating the birthday of their son. And a friend passed by and said, what are you doing today at this corner? We are celebrating the birthday of our son. Where is he? Well, you know, these little boys, there could be a problem here in the hotel. We left, we dropped him on the grandmom's house on the way as we came here. We love Christmas. We love handling the baby Jesus. But Easter tells us one simple fact, that Jesus Christ lived, grew, and became a savior, 
who suffered, died, and now he's lifted up. That is the message of Easter. Could you bow down to reflect on what God is telling us? If you're here and you feel the Lord speaking to your heart, whatever, whether it's salvation or the Lord is challenging you not to just sit there, please could you stand and I pray with you. Whatever the need, the Lord will lead us into this prayer. Feel encouraged in case you need to be prayed for this morning. I want to do that. Father, what a privilege that we have this morning to respond to you, speak to us. And many times, Lord, although we confess that you are the Christ, we quickly fall into our flesh and we deny you and we do not allow you to speak about your suffering for the sins of the world. But Father, thank you for this time of Easter when you remind us about the true position of each and every heart. That we are sinners and there is no any other way we can be forgiven. And so whatever need that Lord is represented by these dear ones, I pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to walk in and through them. I pray that the blood of Jesus Christ will be at work in their hearts. And I pray that out of this seed that has been planted of the gospel, many, many seeds will grow and germinate. And so I bless these people gathered here this morning in the name of God the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.